Bad at Parties is sponsored by Abbey Art Seattle and the Ballard Homestead, music, arts, and community events for people of all ages and incomes. With reoccurring events including the Moth Story Slam, Cathedrals, and The Round, there's always an event when you're in Seattle. Check out Abbey Art's online calendar for intimate performances by many of the artists featured on Bad at Parties. Learn more about this nonprofit organization and how you can attend, volunteer, and host events at fremontabbey.org. Hey gang, this is Andy Zook, and you're listening to Bad at Parties, one-on-one conversations with artists at the corner of the party. In this podcast, the vast majority of the guests on Bad at Parties do tend to be musicians, though the conversations that I often feel most drawn to listen back on are the ones with artists working in a more atypical medium, like a physical space. This week's guest is Zachary St. John, who runs a DIY venue in Capitol Hill called Generations. In the episode, Zachary talks about what it means to not only create a platform for underrepresented groups, but also what it looks like to be an advocate and defender of these groups. To artists who are listeners wondering how they can better combine activism with their creativity, Zachary has some great ideas about creating a safe space and raising your standards of expectation. Now, Zachary also works at a camp for adults with disabilities on Vashon Island that happens every August. If you're interested in learning more about that, click on the link embedded within this podcast or find it on the Bad at Parties Facebook or Instagram. Now, before we get started, I want to let you know that I'll be away from the internet this next week, so there will be an off Monday before the next podcast. Here we go, recorded live in his dining room, Zachary St. John. So, yeah, Generations is really cool. Yeah. Been there. You're doing that. Is that like your full-time gig is Generations right now? I mean, sort of. I'm doing camp, mm-hmm. Generations, and bartending at Tallulah's. And then I'm a Kiss Kids life coach. Kiss Kids life coach? I'm a kid's life coach. Or not a kid, he's an adult now. Cool. And I life coach this kid who goes to Evergreen. He's like a total fucking weirdo who has autism. Sure, that's great. I mean, he's like a pretty active in his life. Those are sort of my... Is he the person who did the art show... That you posted about recently that was at Generations? Mm, that's Vibrant Palette. That's like Diane, this lady. She started it. It's so cool. Oh, David Prim. He's a that's camper. That's what I was talking He's about. He's a yes. camper. <laughs> he goes to camp. Cool. Cool. Mm. How did you How did you meet him? At camp. At camp? Yeah. Oh. For sure. He's he's came to camp for uh, 25 years. <laughs> and his... Uh, so he was there way before you. Yeah. Yeah. Because the camp started in the 70s. And it was called really? Handy Camp. <laughs> and dude I worked at this fucking camp this Christian camp for a long time and then they started like oh we need to do camp for adults as well mm-hmm. because you know, they, age out, they the aged out yeah, yeah exactly but they like literally it was I am a middle schooler straight up 8th grader or maybe ninth grader and they're like great and you're the counselor in charge of these full grown adults mm-hmm. who happen to also have some form of disability mm. and it it literally they took a kids program and we're just like and just make it you know just do exactly the same thing do exactly the for exact, all these grown-ups who are like oh, 20 years older than you like 30 it, years older than yeah you. i it was like one of those things where i felt pretty yucky about it and then looked back it was just like no that was fucked that was yeah. that's not how you do that yeah for sure we definitely like yeah, we, uh, that's how this program started. Was that Right, that's how all the programs started. They all start. Someone turned 18, and someone was like, oh, there's no camp for adults. Especially, like, even, like, deinstitutionalization happened. And yep. Like, looking at, like, all these timelines of all these people who were born in, like, the 
40s, 50s, 60s, who are, like, most of our campers are born in, like, 50s, 60s, 70s. Right. Not so, really the 80s, even. They're, like, pretty old crew. Mm-hmm. So some it, of them have lived through institutions. Were the institutionalized settings, yeah, where it's just, like, beds and beds and beds, and mm-hmm. you might be even... That's where, like, the beginning of the, a lot of their lives started in that. And so now to look at, you know, being able to do what we do now is so cool. Mm. So, I mean, it's so fucked and so, like, underfunded and gross and, like, there's so many people who live in homes that are so terrible, and I see a lot of that at camp. Like, that's, like, the side of the community that I see now is, like, they're all trying as hard as they can. Like, everyone's trying. Everyone has good intentions. No one's trying. I mean, some people are trying to be malicious, but for the most part. For the most part. Intentions are good, but but if you pay people, you know, $11 an hour and don't offer them any benefits and don't offer any training and Mm -hmm. have language barriers and all these things, Mm -hmm. barriers and understanding of disabilities it's just it's it's really sad yeah i mean and that's that's always like the hardest part for me about any type of developmental services that Mm -hmm. exist especially for for people who are aging out of that program is Mm -hmm. that there's just no funding behind it because it's not a money generating thing so Mm -hmm. why would you put money into it if you're not getting money back from it yeah and it's just not it's hard to believe that it'll change it's like one of those systems where you like look at some systems that are like they're so ingrained and there's no way that you're just going to have those things magically change. Like, no, there's no way, you know, Washington can't pass uh, public schools, you know, full, fully funding public schools, then they're not going to pull like an extra one, you know, one billion or even 900 million or like, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars no. into, you know, fully funding disability programs are offering, you know, so the, the, our problem too is like, so all these campers live on federal fixed income. Yes. That is like, you know, I get these scholarship requests where people live on like six hundred dollars a month, and to live at their group home costs five hundred twenty-five dollars a month. Mm-hmm. And it's great because they work at Northwest Center, or Goodwill, yep. who pay them seventy-five cents an hour for their work because you don't, you, you don't. There's lower rates that they can pay, so so people get paid really low. They're getting money and it's great and there's like meaningful employment and like all of the all of the pros that are not financial of employment mm-hmm. are offered. And, uh, but then they have loopholes that allow them to pay less. So then we get these incomes that are like, you're living on $140 a month. That's crazy. Wait, I, I have heard almost exclusively good things about Northwest Center. I mean, Northwest Center is great, but they don't, they're not, you know, they, it's not like they're paying everyone $15 an hour. Sure. There's hundreds and hundreds of people who are there and it's, it's such a meaningful community building and they take people with very low cognitive abilities they're like really good at adapting yeah their their benefits are wide right this but is I what just i typically hear adding it mm-hmm. if you're thinking about people's income and like sure. money it's not a it's that's not no one can make a living on northwest center no obviously. totally which is a supplement hmm, that's a really big bummer i haven't really heard that because yeah. all i've ever heard about with things like northwest center yeah. well and specifically them is yeah, they do really great ways to create relationships with businesses, to create opportunities to get people into these communities yeah. and create job opportunities. But the job opportunities are still like, even if people are getting paid, you know, what, $17 an hour, a lot of these people can only work for two or three hours at a time. Sure. So if you're, you know, it, it, I, I just think like the state has to be supplementing fixed incomes. Like, sure. Like add income, like... You know, don't even make them work. Like why? Like if it, the community building and if that's important for them, like whatever's best for the person. But if that is what they need, the community building and stuff, get them into wherever they need to be. Mm-hmm. But don't make us like for me to take someone for camp based on income, that pisses me off. Mm. It just seems really unfair. So we offer a lot of scholarships and stuff like right. that for camp, but we don't. That like me turning someone away because they make 
Like, just really small amount of money. I don't okay, know. we got we got really into the back end of this. Yeah. Let's. I wanna I wanna know more about the camp because I've heard. Yeah. I know you one time invited me out to it. I'm always you've continually invited me out to yeah. it. Well, and it's like continually not worked out. No, it um, totally is. But you have like built out a really good community of people that like consistently come consistently out there. Um, and I'm talking about like people who are supporting, who yeah. are being. Uh, I don't know what's the position title when people are coming. Is it counselor? Is that yeah, the term you use? Volunteer. Volunteers. So, so camp. Okay, so camp started in the seventies and it was handy camp. Yeah. It started, handy that's camp. where we were. I guess where we were. It started as handy camp and uh, it lived through some iterations and it was for the most part it was about forty campers and about ten counselors. Mm-hmm. So there, each cabin had one person in it and there would be these really crazy ratios like Oof. eight to one ratios Dude, for no. camp. And it was these people who they still come to camp. They were like that was just like no one would come out or they couldn't they didn't have the connections or they didn't have whatever. And then in uh, the late nineties um, some insurance laws changed and it was taken over by Parkview Services, which is hmm. a nonprofit that does uh, And they're the current owners. Yeah, they yeah. where they subsidize camp, they help camp, they do all insurances through them, they pay me, they uh, front the money at the beginning of the year, but camp is a financially solvent program. Right, so and these, Parkview doesn't exclusively do the camp. That's one small element of the many other things. They have a doing. group home, mm-hmm. they do mortgage default um, counseling, and they do some other things like that. Cool. And also help uh, people with disabilities. They uh, do, they create uh, homes, they buy homes, and they make new group homes. Cool. There's that guy in Ballard, the artist who is... Joel? Joel, they mm-hmm. they helped with Joel's housing. That's awesome. That's yes, that. that's right. I remember when that happened when he got kicked out and they yeah. had to like they were like so they part I think they got him a Joel's house posse. an apartment in in Greenwood or something. So, mm. uh, so they took over and then so I started going to camp nine years ago it was the first time I went as a counselor. My friend Malia was the director, and then I came as a counselor for four years and then Malia couldn't do it anymore. It's a lot of work, mm-hmm. and. Passed it over to me, and this will be my fifth year as the director. So I now the camp is this year we have sixty eight campers, forty five volunteers, so forty counselors and five sort of like arts and crafts lady, yeah, and, uh, field lady, and then I supervise four registered nurses who administer all the awesome. medicine yep. and An take essential care of all part medical of things, mm-hmm. and and then uh, yeah, so I supervise the whole routine. So like, how did you? How did you get into, I mean, obviously you got connected to that, but the skill set of like, I can coordinate, I recognize what, that there needs to be multiple Mm -hmm. nurses there, that there's all of these like standards that we need to meet. Because if it is being funded by that group, I'm sure that there's insurance needs where you're like, Mm -hmm. we need to have this type of a ratio. Like, how did you hit the point where you're like, oh yeah, I'm qualified to be running something like this, or, or I have the knowledge base to be interacting with this? I guess I just went out on a limb. <laughs> I guess I didn't. I didn't know if I was, but uh, yeah, I've always like thrust myself into leadership roles, sort of. So it mm-hmm. wasn't a far cry. As a white male, it is your job. It's, it's my job. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's just, <laughs> come, come, no, it come. It comes naturally. It does. Yeah. Um, no, but uh, it's it, uh, it. The opportunity arose, and, and yeah, I don't know. I That's just went great. For it. I really wanted to do it. Like camp's really important to me, and I felt like I had the perfect schedule and the perfect time and, like, the, the things that were set up. Um, Malia did it for four years, and it really, you know, it was great for her, and she did a fantastic job. 
Um, but she was going into med school and just nice. couldn't do it. So, and yeah. this is your fifth year now of fifth year. being the director. Mm. I did. I directed um, and helped co-found the EMPs music therapy camp there mm-hmm. and did that for three years. And by the end of it, it was, you know, I was changing for various reasons, mm-hmm. um, like also moving on to other stuff as well at that same time. But like that was just, I mean, you got, you do the camp two weeks, one week, just one week, one week. Yeah. That was a two week. And like, it's so much. But just, ours was a day camp. Yours is an all night thing. It's this so, is, it starts, so it starts every year at the Super Bowl. It's like when, that's when my like camp calendar starts and it ends in November. So people like find out that it's like one week and like, I feel like people are like, oh, it's one week and it's like, but there are people who take 40 medicines a day. Yeah. Like vitamins and these cocktails and like mm-hmm. these setups. Like, so it's like the, the, the logistics and the back end of it is, is great. Um, and the other thing about camp that's really cool is just like the, so it's not, it's, it's a pretty diverse setup. It's diverse in age. It's diverse in ethnicity. Um, it's really diverse in financial means. Yeah. And socioeconomic status. Mm-hmm. I'd say like, a good 60% of our campers live on federal fixed income. Hmm. And um, we offer about 10% of our campers scholarships, but awesome. we also offer like payment plans. So we have campers who are working small jobs and who'll pay us like $50 a month for the whole entire year to come to camp. And sometimes we've offered them scholarships and it's like, no, no, they want to pay for camp. Like that's yeah. the thing they do. That's their vacation. Like that is their trip to Hawaii. That mm-hmm. is that. And a lot of them going for 20 or 30 years, it really is like a family reunion that they get to pay for every year. Absolutely. So I would like just do anything I can to be a part of it and like make sure that it, it goes as, you know, smoothly as possible. Mm-hmm. But it does, uh, it is bigger than me. You know, it's the systems that are in place and the relationships that are in place will go beyond me. Hmm. You know, it's just, I'm the person right now who is making sure that. Sure. Does that, it sounds like that's kind of almost like a caretaker role. Like It's almost a caretaker role. It's yeah. bigger. I mean, yeah. And I think that, so there's some people who are in like senior leadership and a lot of them are people who are used to be directors. Right. And so the natural transition, it's not going to, even it, when I'm not the director, I will be supporting camp in lots of ways. Sure. It's a family. Uh, yeah. It's something that totally you're a family. Mm. Yeah, it's great. And some of the, uh, yeah. Yeah, I really like it. Cool. It makes the rest of the year that can be really shitty and really terrible totally worth it. Like, mm-hmm. um, having a really hard year and thinking about camp is just like, oh, so good. Dude, that's so rad. So, and we end camp every year with a, all the counselors get in a circle and it is like the most real moment of the year. Just like where people, yeah, it's very serious. Hmm. Yeah, it's great. That's so I'm good. right now looking forward to it. Yeah, when strongly. It looks, it's August, right? It's, it's in August. August. It's August 6th to the 12th. And you're still looking for I'm still volunteers? Looking for volunteers. Are you still, there? there's still open slots for campers as well, or is that all fully? Campers fill up in April. So we. Dude, I believe that. It's far out. Um, and we actually only have, only really accept one or two counselors per year, or campers per year, because our return rate is so high mm. that we are essentially operate at capacity. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we try to take new campers. Which as, I assume as is just can. based on beds. Just based on beds, yeah. Yeah. We've expanded as pretty much as far as we can. But counselors, I'm always looking for counselors. I'm definitely always looking for male mm-hmm. counselors more than females. Right. Yeah. Sometimes and, which is just the world of yeah. mental health or health yeah. a lot of the time in general, service health. I find that my female friends are often a lot more giving with their time to the community. Sure. Um, you know, and have different priorities. So mm-hmm. helpful. But yes, male male counselors always. Awesome. That's great. And it's on Vashon Island. It's on the south end of Vashon Island at Camp Burton which uh, they do camps all summer, and they have this beautiful grounds on the water, and they have 
giant kitchen with this guy who's like really burnt out of being a chef. <laughs> like he, he's like a, I don't know how you call, I don't know, food stuff, but he was a popular chef on the island. Right. And, and he, he lets you coached. know. <laughs> he, no, he got, everyone lets us know. Like we were, I was on the ferry once and was like, oh, I run this camp at Camp Burton. And they were like, oh, Chef Bill's there. He used to be at this restaurant. So and he just got so burned out on like the kitchen world. Right. And he was like, I just want to go to this camp and make food. So the camp food is actually exceptionally good camp food. Like he is, he is like actually good at cooking. So mm-hmm. you get this, uh, it's, it's amazing. Dude, that is one of those crazy things that I find. So when I worked in upstate New York, it was at this massive location. It's like the number one employer in the county. It was full life cycle developmental disability mm-hmm. services. Um, so you have people as young as like recently born to yeah. end of life retirement center there as well. I think that they had like 300 different individuals receiving all day or day services. Um, so the, it spanned two towns, like it's this so community. Crazy. There were multiple farms. It was mostly farming, and they used like farming in um, the therapies and in their treatment. And I mean, I was out there because they were doing music therapy mm-hmm. um, as a part of it. So it had, they had like eight music therapists, which is it was wild. Which is wild. Well, not the eight music therapists, but there were um, more than that, including like interns who were constantly there. Sure. But the big thing that like set it apart always is they took all of that farm and they put that back into all of the restaurant or into all of the food. So they yeah. fed everybody in the community. Like That's so cool. They, they, you know, they still had to outsource stuff, but like they were like, they were always so proud of like, we don't buy eggs and haven't bought eggs in years. Mm-hmm. Every egg is laid on the ground by like a free range chicken. And then the people who are receiving services go and pick up the eggs mm-hmm. and then they help prepare this food, like it's fully so cool. integrated in all levels of it. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's, like, those are projects when I think about, like, long-term projects, like, meaningful, less therapeutic, like, more just, like, meaningful social time, meaningful, like, societal time, meaningful community time, and, uh, you know, those are programs that always sort of catch my ear, and I'd be like, oh, God, what would that be like? Yeah, to say, like, what does it look like if it's just, like, it doesn't end at the end of the week? It doesn't end at the end of the year. Yeah. It's just fully integrated into society. Yeah. That's the goal. Yeah, I mean, people with disabilities are fully integrated into my life. Yeah, I like my brother has autism. Um, I've subbed at the school now for a couple of years, but like when I go, I was just at the group home. Mm-hmm. Five of the people there are from camp, and I was like, oh, kind of having a rough day or just feeling, I'm feeling kind of weird. And I got there and just was like, fully immersed myself in conversations with these three people, and uh, I just had a, like a moment of realization of like, oh, ah, oh, you're my friends. This is great. Yeah. But you're so heavily disabled, <laughs> and, and, and it's totally fine, and I've just spent so much time in my life talking and interacting right. and being around people with disabilities that I was like, I was talking to this woman who is, um, sometimes people find her really grating, and she can, you know, doesn't do very much active listening, but does a lot of talking, and I was listening to her, and was just like, I felt very thankful just an hour ago, just talking to her about like mm. this, and yeah, made a plan, I'm going to go get pizza with one of the people on Monday, and, and, and I think that integration has just helped me in the way that I interact with the world, and the way that I can, like, see, um, just try really hard to see, yeah. see people. Do you feel like you've seen examples in your life of people that, you know, you have this as part of your family? Do you feel like you've seen people who aren't naturally, like, put in that situation choose that and, like, go about it well? Like, I know plenty of people that would like to, yeah. I'm sure, make that choice, but don't know how to do it appropriately. I think so. 
I think camp's really good. I think, like, finding those opportunities to, like, just hang out with people. Sure. And just, like, just being able to check your ego at the door. Just being able to be, like, just, if you if, if you take yourself too seriously, you're never going to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, you just have to, like, take a step back, lose that demeanor, like, lose the thing that you spend all day doing at work or school or whatever it is, and just, if you can do that, and, and even if you have no experience or anything, that's why, yeah, I, I do. I see people do it all the time, because we do a lot of, a lot of our counselors are not experienced or friends of friends or, like, you know, someone's dating someone, and they're sure. like, boyfriend's coming to camp this year, and, yeah. like, your boyfriend's, like, you know, never, ever talked to someone with disabilities before, and probably, like, used the R word, like, three years ago, yeah. and then all of a sudden is, like, able to lose themselves, and you'll look over, and you'll be like, oh, you are, you, you are, got this, you, you are understand. connected with that other human. You understand this. see them as a person. You, you get it, you're fine, you're yep. able to do this, and, and you know, really, and most, if not, most people, break up. <laughs> and most people are successful, really, I think that, like, Sort of like any time you're exposed to a new community or new culture, like, it can be scary for some people at first, and then you realize, oh, shit, these are just people. And then you move on quickly from there if you have an open mind and if you have, you know, if you have the right attitude. Well, and that's why I really liked seeing that you were doing um, some of the art events that you were over at Generations, because I think that that's so much, the other side is like, yes, I'm I'm reaching out and I'm pulling you into this community, mm-hmm. but I'm also taking this community and putting it in your place. And like, I think that those, those tides have to go back and forth to like make people exposed because yeah. there's some people who are like, oh, I'm never going to go out of my way to do that. But like, maybe I'm already integrated into the art community. Yeah. And to see somebody being an artist yeah. who is outside of my perspective of what is an artist. Yeah, so David did his art show, and he sold every single piece of work on the walls. He, uh, it was like the best day ever. He was so excited, um, and we, I'm just happy to be able to host it. We've been able to host um, two or three different art things for uh, art events for people with disabilities. Hmm. And sort of like Generations is... Uh, we're like a flexible space, and we do a lot of different things there. Like we'll do photo shoots, and we'll do shows, and we'll do art shows. But we do have some ground rules, and um, we are like we try to be very choosy about the people that we invite into our community. Um, we try to include people with disabilities. We try to in- include women at high priority, women of color at highest priority. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Anastasia Renee, who's a local poet, is having her book release on Saturday. Really? A generation. Oh, that's gonna for Grandma Press. That's good. So tomorrow. Tomorrow. So that'll be two days ago when so, this yeah. comes out. But so Anastasia Renee's book is called V, and it's amazing, and she's a queer person of color, and she is beautiful and amazing, and every poem in her book is so relevant right now and just makes you want to cry. Mm. Her story is, like, just unreal. Cool. And talking to her is, like, super magical. And we just, like, I feel lucky as a white man to have this space and to have the... Um, intention behind it like I feel comfortable with the space I feel like comfortable with the way that we interact with the community mm-hmm. I feel comfortable with the, uh, with the way that we've offered financial incentives to different communities to allow them to do things in our space mm-hmm. that they might financially not be able to do um, and so that their communities can also thrive sure so yeah I love uh, having that we also have like for our punk shows and our rock shows we really have been trying to toy with you do uh, punk shows and rock shows in that spot? We do. So this yeah. is in Capitol Hill. It's like got all glass walls on the front and side. And we do and we do everything. We it's do, surrounded by apartments. <laughs> surrounded by apartments. And we do uh, weekday punk shows that are like 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. Rad. Two, two per month. They're all all ages. Um, and we have a pretty specific, uh, we've made some pretty specific rules for like 
content, conduct that won't be allowed. And we, yes. uh, we have a pretty long list of people that we've already banned from this space and are really trying to integrate, like really trying to create a culture of like, you don't have to rape a woman to not be allowed in this space. If you make more than one of my friends uncomfortable, you're not allowed in the space. Yeah. Like the, the, the bar can't be sexual assault. So, like, in, in, I think that it's so hard for the music community and the electronic yeah. music community and all these communities have such a hard time because they, like, we get caught in these semantics of, like, did, did this shitty dude rape someone? And I'm like, I don't give a fuck if they rape yeah. someone. If you're walking around, if my friend has to block you on Instagram because you keep messaging them mm-hmm. and then they talk about it at a bar and someone says, you know what, that person made me feel really uncomfortable too, then you're not welcome to my space. Right. Why like, do you have to get to the top the of bar, the tier? Yeah. Rape yeah. is not, rape is not what I, I don't care. Like, I, my bar is so much lower. Yeah. So I've recently started writing some people and some people who have some, a lot of social capital and letting them know that they're not welcome in our space mm-hmm. and letting them know that if people ask them, we'll tell them why and use their name. Hmm. So just trying to be active in the way that we inter- interact and also, I have, so I also help run Black Lodge and I'm on the collective for Black Lodge. Oh, cool. And that's like always a conversation that happens at Black Lodge is, you know, so-and-so is problematic, so-and-so is problematic, and, you know, we almost always vote to 86 them, but there's 20 people in the collective, hmm. so it's this whole process of, like, sure. uh, like you've got you know, a committee. We're sitting here on Facebook, like, voting yes or no, or whatever. But Which is with good, genera- you know, oh. that can get out of control. Oh. If It can be very cool, very instantly become a cool kids club, or totally. be like, oh, this person's problematic because we don't like them, you know? Those yeah. things can happen, and a committee can be a good way it's totally... to avoid that, especially if it's diverse. And it's good to have um, my... I have my head in so many different communities and like have like my foot in the door in so many communities that I feel like with generations, I'm comfortable making the decision for this space right now. Sure. That being said, totally like I, and I like, um, right now I like, I've been able to empower some of my female friends that have felt not empowered by other spaces Good. and they felt, um, like some spaces haven't listened to their concerns about being uncomfortable mm-hmm. enough. So just trying to create that and then also trying to be really public about it so that other spaces can see that we're doing that and other spaces can thrive on that as well. And right. Like, and I think that that's a big part of being and saying, like, I'm a white male. I'm really lucky to have these things. And it's twofold. You're, a, you are taking your platform and giving it away to people that won't have it and saying, like, you deserve this. You, you aren't presented with this enough in, like, the community, so I'm giving it to you. Like, that's what I'm doing with this privilege that I have. And then secondarily, you were saying, I have the capital um, socially to say, like, if I rise up and I'm like, this is fucked. This mm-hmm. is so fucked that people are treating others like this. I won't get, like, I won't get raped yeah. because I am attacking this group of people. Totally. You know, yes, you're putting yourself at risk, but you're also, by default, less at risk already. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm fine in all situations. Like, there's, no, <laughs> there's like, no, there's, it's, I, I'm at a zero risk situation. The only thing that I risk is supporting my friends. Yep. Which is fine. Yep. I, I, I get in this thing where I've, um, uh, I've recently been doing a lot of arguing on the internet because I have a lot of female friends who spend a lot of time arguing on the internet, mm-hmm. and I have a lot of female friends who are also people of color who also spend a lot of time arguing on the internet, really? and uh, who have expressed in Facebook posts that I've seen, like, hey, I'm really, really sick of arguing for, like, basic decency on the internet. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why can't my friends help me? And so I've been able to, like, I feel comfortable doing that, and I love arguing with people. I did, <laughs> debate, I did debate in high school. I will argue with anyone for anything. Yeah. But I've been really comfortable uh, and really stoked just in the last, like, couple months um, sort of, like, tagging into some conversations and being like, oh, actually, 
I'm gonna, this person's gonna stop talking because it's not their fucking job to explain this to you and like explain like pervasive, se- right. pervasive sexism to you. If you want them to explain it to you, you should pay them. So I will, <laughs> I will explain it to you because they're fucking tired of talking to you. Yeah. And, um, but it's so fucked up because what'll happen is so there's this one instance where there's this one, people were arguing for like all night and my friend wrote me a message. It was like, can you please just tell this person to shut the fuck up? And there was like 45, gross comments just arguing about nothing and the, this lady is like get out of my comments shut the fuck up get out of my comments shut the fuck up and I literally came in and I was like hey you're in this person's comments they don't want you here you sound like an asshole go to bed and they just wrote okay <laughs> and I was like wait <laughs> did you seriously just do this and I like like screenshotted it and I wrote him and I was like you realize how fucked up you look right now right you realize that for 12 hours people told you to shut the fuck up who are who are female, who are brown, who are yeah. queer. They did this, and you didn't listen to them once, once, once. Like, I'm looking at this, and I literally told you to go to bed, and you just <laughs> shut the fuck up. And he's like, oh, I realized, I guess it was a good time for me to stop. And I was like, you're such a fucking clueless idiot. Like, what is your problem? But Dude, also, like, just... I'm, to just be so I'm angry, be like, I'm, no, no, I just... I, I chose that myself. I'm an internet hitman, so you can just hire me. Dude, you can just write great. me, and I will take care of trolls on your page. Yeah, just and, eyeball emoji, throw it in there, yeah. tag Zach. Yeah, I will... I will, I will tag I will tag into you arguing <laughs> with your racist cousins or coworkers or people you worked with once five years ago. Like, Dude. I will be happily... I will happily take that. Dude, role that's on. so great. I love that. And <laughs> and like it's so cool to see the way that you're taking that same concept of something that, you know, I think a lot of people could be like, sure, I can get aggressive and, and like fight back on the internet. But you're also doing that at generations. You're doing yeah. that both in your I think that that looks like integrity to me. That looks like integrity to do that in your private kind of I'm in the shadowy internet, but also like I'm at this platform where anybody could show up at this location and know, yeah. hey, this is the guy. I don't know. What's your title? Are you the owner? Or are you? I know that there is actually a lady who owns Generations. Mm. So it's actually I. I just run it. <laughs> <laughs> the buck stops with me. Yeah. No, the buck stops with with Amy. So Th- those things are so funny. I, I've been, I don't know what my role is. Like, I, was talking, I just tell people I run it. I was talking right. I was talking with a friend and I recently about like oh you got oh no oh yeah anyways I was talking with somebody and they were telling me that they got a promotion mm-hmm. to a new position. I was like oh what's the new position? Like, what is it? What is it? And they're like, oh, it's like, I'm like this. And I'm like, oh, but what does it say in your like agreement? And they're like, oh, we don't have agreements. Yeah. And I'm, I actually hear this more and more often. I'm like, oh, that's, that's like super regular, especially in the art community or in like any food industry. Like there's no written documentation of this is my role and this is how much I get paid. Like it's all verbal. Yeah. It's all verbal. Definitely. It's all verbal. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, I, I just want to go back to just, like, so... Yeah, hit it up. The, the thing about, like, I do... I've spent, like... Okay, so my mom is, like, a really badass motherfucker. Cool. And she had... Um, I'm just, like, really lucky to have spent a lot of time with her and to have been really close to her mm-hmm. and to have had someone in my life who didn't ever take shit from my dad. Right. And, and you grew up in... Spokane. Spokane. Got it. Cool. And just to have someone in my life who, like... My dad didn't really give her much shit because she wouldn't take much shit. Nice. And I was able to see as a kid, what, like, a strong female, um, independent woman looked like, like, in a day-to-day, and my mom, uh, was always a really caring person, and was always inviting people into our home to live with us for a really long time, and always, like, dropping everything that she ever did to, like, take care of her family, like, my, when my brother was diagnosed with autism, my mom was working at Schlotsky's Deli in Albuquerque, New Mexico, Mm -hmm. and was, uh, married to an abusive husband, Mm -hmm. 
and she left her husband, put my brother in a car, drove to Seattle because she saw a postcard once with a ferry and thought it looked pretty and knew she had a brother who lived up here. Mm. Drove to Seattle um, and then over the next eight years worked full-time and put herself through school and got a master's in special ed so that she could, one, understand what the hell was going on with her son. Sure. And two, so that she could help other people in the community. So I do feel lucky to have this this role model. And, and as um, in the last, like, four or five years, I had a couple um, really strong men in my life die who I really looked mm. up to really highly. I looked up to the way that they treated women. I looked up to the way that they treated the world. I looked up to the way that they treated um, just society. And I felt like it was so abnormal. And so I've spent a lot of time in the last four or five years specifically thinking about the way that I interact with women and the world hmm. with in light of like my mom and uh, you know these men dying who I just feel like were the true definition of manlyhood for right. me, which is like that the, I'm always thinking of these like uh, things that like don't represent manliness that we just think represent manliness. Like, right, like, so backwards. Like that belittling others does not represent manliness. Mm -hmm. Or making fun of people's bodies doesn't represent manliness. Or talking about women like they're objects does not represent manliness. And I spent a lot of time, like, act recently in the last year trying to be a lot more active with my words. And I work in a kitchen and listening, like, stopping people when they talk about women like they're objects. And being like, listen, you know what? It's just the wrong audience. Like, I'm never, gonna, I'm never going to participate in a conversation where you, under your breath, talk about how bad you want to fuck someone at a table. Right. I just will never participate in that conversation. Right. Um, so don't have it around me. And also, it's fucked up for this reason and this reason. Mm -hmm. And just spending a lot of time, like, f unpacking the misogyny that is ingrained in my life. Right. Because we're all so inundated with it. And me, in particular, I have so many misogynist traits mm -hmm. that I've had to unpack over the last five years. And I still, like, you know... We'll have moments where I'll, someone will call me out on something. And I'm like, God, that is so fucking gross and sexist of me. Like, mm -hmm. how the fuck did I do that? That's so dumb. Um, Dude, but, yeah. I literally had a great call out. Someone gave to me today at work, like, was just, like, talking. I said something, and then the person next to me, like, made a little joke about what I said. And I was like, no, you're completely right. I didn't yeah. catch myself. You're absolutely right. And they were like, oh, I'm sorry. I was just joking around. I was like, no, this isn't yeah, me. You like, should do that. I'm you not should... being passive aggressive. Yeah. I'm truly thanking you. And they're like, no, no, I'm sorry. And I was like, why are you apologizing? You called me out. That's good. Please continue to do that. Absolutely. Always. Yeah. Just always do it. And yeah. like, just, it's so important because you just never know. And people operate just at this cruise control where they just like cruise through life like everything they're doing is right all the time. And it's not. And it's not only like a man thing or only a woman thing, but like it's so ingrained and it's so oppressive to so many people around us that I care about so much. Like you have to call me out. And yeah, I don't know. Just thinking about like the way that, uh, yeah. I was thinking about this thing recently where like um, men who like create this self-fulfilling prophecy by dating what they would consider, like, quote-unquote, mean girls. Right. Or, like, how... I know all these men who are always, like, always dating girls who are mean to them mm -hmm. because they treat these women like shit, right? The, the right. ladies are actually pretty nice, but after being belittled by my friends or ex-friends for so long, they end up turning into mean girls, and then they break up, and then it creates this thing where women are so mean to them. Right. And this, like, gross, misogynist circle where you're just like, no, you're an asshole. Yeah. To your partner. Right. And they were actually pretty nice, and I... in like, yeah, like people have make mistakes and everything, but like you're, you are creating this gross cycle of misogyny where women are terrible mm -hmm. again and again and again. And if every woman you've ever dated is terrible, like look in the mirror. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of those, 
those things where I think, of course, it's built out of pain. You know, yeah. it's probably a learned trait. A yeah. lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time, you've had examples that treated you poorly, that, mm -hmm. that showed you, like, here is this belittling, and that is what masculinity looks like. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, uh, I don't know why I feel so bad all the time. It's like, fuck, I just... And, and I think that that's why it's so important to have people who are calling you out, who are talking to you, because it's not the goal in calling someone out on the internet, the goal in talking to someone at the venue, the goal in any of these things is truly, can the person be better? Can we all corporately yeah. be better? And yes, can also, we... can I protect the people that yeah. they're endangering? Yeah. First and foremost. But, like, if I can do that and also this person can grow, that's yeah. the joy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you don't want to, like, you don't want to kick people out of things forever. No. But if people show repeating behavior and, and don't show any desire to learn or don't, you know, are super defensive and things like that. But yeah, no, I, I'd like to do my part. And also, I just think that it's, it's weird because, like, you, as, as a, you don't want to, you want to be supportive in the conversation mm -hmm. and you want to take charge sometimes because I don't think that the work should all go on the oppressor or on the oppressed. So, like, for women to do all the work no. is super gross. And I feel like women have just done so much work in the last four or five years. And I think that it's a fine line to walk between I spend a lot of time shutting the fuck up and I spend a lot of time listening and trying to make sure that I'm, like, giving space in conversation. And then when I'm in situations where I have a voice, I try really hard to be active in a conversation to make sure that people know, like, one, that... That's the way that I feel. And two, that's what I'll tolerate from the people around me. And three, that, like, it's totally okay for you as a male to just be like, no, that's fucked up. Yep. That's fucking stupid. Yep. Like, uh, that, is, <laughs> that is fucking dumb, and you shouldn't do it. Like, uh, and, like, and it's okay to be femme, and it's okay to be weird, and manliness is not measured by dick size, and just, like, mm -hmm. manliness is just a construct anyway, mm -hmm. and... So, just be active in that conversation. Yeah, I mean, our background, like, it was great, I think, getting to see the way that you worked at the school. We were both working at APL. Um, mm -hmm. Basically, situation with kids on the autism spectrum and typically developing students integrated and mm -hmm. a variety of other students as well. And I, you were always in the high school setting, whereas I had never been in that. And I felt like it was really cool to watch. Like, you guys definitely had a wildly diverse community of people with a lot of um, conceptual elements that were going on about self-identity. And yeah. I thought that the way I saw you handle that some of the times, those were some of the moments where I was very impressed and was like, I don't know how I would handle that. Mm. That is, those are specific points where I'm like, I haven't experienced that. Yeah. I, I've dealt with a lot of other things, but I was like, nope, haven't done that really like the way you're going about that. It was so cool. Yeah. So, so there was a student who came out as transgender mm -hmm. and we, uh, Taylor and I essentially like with like, no, like no one really knew what to do. And so everyone just didn't do anything. And we were like, wait, hold on. We can create a trans friendly school. This isn't hard. Yeah. Like, and we don't have to put a giant poster on the wall that says all are welcome here with a rainbow. Like we can also just talk to all the staff about like respecting gender pronouns the way that we talk about it, the way that we open conversations, and, like, the way that we talk to other students about it, because with kids with disabilities, it can be a little confusing when someone changes their name and their identity. Right. You, that can be... It was literally... There were moments of that where I learned. I fully learned. Like, I was like, this is... Like, there were versions of pronouns that I had never heard before, and I was like, oh, 
This yeah. is how we can use more than just them or yeah. they. Like, yeah. there are other options as well out yeah. there. Yeah, it was great. It yeah. was so fun to do and just, like, felt really good. And, like, I know that the student felt really supported. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that it was, like, a, such a good learning opportunity for everyone, like, us in creating it and just being like, well, how do you do this? Sure. How do you create a trans-friendly school with kids with disabilities and parents and administration and all these? Like, how do we do this? And also for the staff who were like, Shit, I want to be supportive of this community, but I really don't know how. Yeah, like I, that's a, that's that's out of my world. I have a ton of trans friends. Like it's, it was easy for Taylor and I to reach out to our friends and be like, "Hey, yo, how, how would you go about this? Or yeah. like, how would you do this?" And um, and they're like, know. "I've walked that path." Yeah, I, here's, like, oh. here's how people treated me that made me feel like shit. Yeah, and here's how people treated me that made me feel like a human. And then to be able to take that and like the the fact that we have those people in our communities and the fact that a lot of people didn't have those people in our their communities mm-hmm. and create that environment. Yeah, that felt great. It was great. Mm. Cool to be able to do try you know to integrate it into as many aspects of my life as possible. That's rad. Just so, being supportive of the people, my friends. I think that that's so tight. And I think what's cool about that is like looking to the points of where can what are my resources that mm-hmm. are outside of myself. A lot of what we've been talking about is here this medium where I can offer my voice out to other people. Here's where I can draw people in. Here's where I can create platforms for other. Where are you seeing right now in your life that you're able to like? Okay, here's how I can go outside of the things that I'm creating and the resources that I have. Here's how I can go out into the community and experience something that's just totally beyond what I can create. Because I feel that yeah. for myself looking at what you do. So yeah. I have to wonder, what's that yeah. for you? Yeah, I don't know. So I, I've got this, well, it's a little, it's similar, but it's different. But there's this group of people who, are, who run all these DIY spaces mm-hmm. who've been trying to get together and be more communicative in our spaces, so about, like, it, who we let into spaces is one thing. Uh, it's a little off-topic, but, like, safety and DIY spaces after the fire in Oakland at Ghost Ship. Right. So we ran a whole month-long benefit, and I do, uh, in February, so it's a while, but now every February we'll do, like, this DIY appreciation month of shows and raise money. But I do think that that is probably, like, a thing that now, whereas, like, I I feel confident with generations and, like, what I'm doing there, but, like, trying to make sure that all of these other spaces know what 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 I think and what we at Black Lodge think is the acceptable standard for Seattle mm-hmm. in 2017, mm-hmm. and making sure that places get the education about like when it's okay to kick people out, who should be kicked out, who should be allowed in, what kind of language is allowed, what sort of uh, physical interaction is allowed. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so I think that like that's something that I, we talked about, and there's some people who help run spaces that we talked about like bar education and like above ground venue education as well and trying to like move a little bit towards that um and just moving bigger than generations but yeah i guess that yeah something i'd want to do and then also like i've had some ideas a a lot of ideas in the last couple weeks for like i've never done it before ever but for street art Hmm. about um in on capitol hill and downtown but that's sort of like a different idea that i I'm still sussing out. Yeah. And I've never been a visual artist, or I've never... It's never been my medium at all, No, ever. That's, that's always been the thing that terrifies me the most. Like, yeah. anytime I have to do something that's visually representative, like, if I'm doing music things, and it's like, okay, and now we need album artwork, it's like, yeah, someone else can do that. Yeah. Like, I really hate that. I've never done it. But I do, like... I, I do think that there's meaning in it, and I think it's a really important medium, and mm-hmm. I think that, like reaching some of these people who are on Capitol Hill who don't come in contact with our communities, who sort of live in this, like, Twilight Zone parallel universe, but mm-hmm. we're all going to the same restaurants and sure. we're all going to the same grocery stores sure. and just trying to... 
create some sort of communication device to talk to these new I, Capitol Hill residents who yeah. exist in our I was talking in, our, in a community with us. I was talking with a friend of mine about like what is the like we were talking about um, artists that are like doing street art that we've been seeing for the past decade as we've been living in this city. Yeah. And to just be like, oh yeah, I'm deeply familiar with that imagery. Yeah. But I have no idea who that is. Yeah. But like and, and it could be it's, anything from, like, there's there's this one that, I, I was talking about this with them, there's this one that's, like, this half-angel wing, uh, kind of, like, Roman Gothic creature. Yeah, yeah. That is usually, like, a paper printout that's then, like... We pasted on. We pasted on. And I've seen that for years. Yeah. And I want to know who I've does it. I've seen that one, too, yeah. And then there's also just the Jazz Mom. Like, I just want to know who fucking Jazz Mom Jazz is. Mom, Spring Break. Yeah. All those, yeah spring, I know Spring Break, they moved away. But, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I right now I've seen a bunch of, like, I know that there's someone who's doing a bunch of, like, rent control ones. Mm. Big, big rent control. And they're also doing a bunch of Nikita Oliver street art. Yeah. Like, um, which is great. Street art is so funny, too, because it's such a weird medium because it's so temporary. Like, I saw before Capitol Hill Pride that someone uh, someone had made this mural on what used to be, like, 95 slide war room, and it was, like, can't keep Capitol Hill queered, which is really tacky. <laughs> like, really terrible wordplay, but yeah. great, great message, you know, whatever. But the building <laughs> was... I did it at first. I'm mad about that. <laughs> but the building was demolished on the Monday after Pride. So you have this beautiful street art, and people are taking pictures and shit, and then on Instagram on, like, Monday, it's the... This mural getting hit with a sledgehammer. Dude, it's like that is like that is some on point shit. I know that is it's real. so funny. You're just like, did no one at any point ever think about this? Like, did no like did you think you were just gonna do this and someone wouldn't take a picture? Like, like did you never consider the impact? Of, like, Dude, that, like, I think it's, it's so. I think it's accurate. I think it's, oh, it's a, a very accurate description of Seattle. Oh no, and it's totally like. I mean, uh, I don't want to speak too much about like pride because it's not my community but like right. a lot of my queer friends and especially like my trans and queer friends uh have felt like pride has become very commercial oh absolutely and it's just like it's this valentine's day it's not even like like when you go there it's like just like capitol hill block party one you know like then the capitol hill block party is now like capitol hill block party two or whatever it is it's just like this like party weekend on capitol hill yeah. um so it's like yeah, like keep Capitol Hill queer, like brought to you by Red Hook, or like, <laughs> like it's so it's so dumb. So yeah, I don't think that. When I was talking to my friends, I hung out with my queer friends during Pride, and they were all at Denny Blaine, taking off the advantage of like being at the beach when no one's there because everyone's you know. Yep. Out. Being like being like supporting. There's a bunch of straight people at our place. Yeah. Bummer. Yeah, totally. It's yeah, it's a bummer. Yeah. But and I think, like, yeah, anyway, that's not my community, so I try not to speak about sure. it. Sure. Visual artists, though, and, and, like, street art, the one thing that I am proud of that I, or not personally proud, but, like, I am proud of the city and the way that at least this community handled it. There's this beautiful Native American, like, mural that was up on Aurora, like, up by 92nd, mm -hmm. um, on this old school that was there that they tore down, like, a year and a half ago, and they've been rebuilding, like, putting a new school in there. I can't mm. remember the name of it right now, but it's, like, up on 92nd on Aurora, right over that way. Um, and they took the original mural art, and they had replaced, they took the wall and saved it. There were, like, five walls, and they reintegrated them back into the structures um, so that it was, like, these beautiful Native American or First Nations people, like, uh, recreation, like, That's so add back in. And it was a First Nations person that created the art cool. originally. Yeah. And it was just like, that's 
so tight. Yeah, I was cool. really, I used to live like right next to it. And so like to come back and because I was like, oh, they're going to tear that down. Mm-hmm. And like, it's the wallpaper on my phone is one of these murals because I loved it so much. It's so I'm, cool. I'm just really happy that they were like, yes, this is important. This is part of the culture. We need to maintain this. This is long lasting art. Yeah. 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 And you know, yeah, especially Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> Like some disrespectful history. Yeah. Yeah. The least we could do is re put your mural. <laughs> literally, literally, the least we could do. That's literally, literally, the least we like, do. yeah. Besides just like breathing. Yeah. Like the least you, we could do. Yeah. Uh, there's there's so many awful stories. Yeah. So, <laughs> didn't need, I just get so dark on this, and I'm like, you know, in a pretty passionate headspace right now about all these things. So every time I think, I'm just like, oh, fuck that. Yeah. Fuck that thing. Fuck. That when thing. are you not in a pretty passionate headspace, Zach? Well, <laughs> when I uh yeah well so. I don't know how many, well, how many people, yeah, they, uh, so I was gonna, the, anyway, the graduation speech that I did. Yes, you did a graduation speech at APL, where we worked before, mm-hmm. for a bunch of the, for some of the kids who were graduating that you had worked with and I had worked yeah. with. Yeah. And it was really great. I guess it was a little, uh, I guess there was, I guess, a little controversial. There was, like, a little part where I talked about Charlene Lyles, who was shot by the police, and the privilege that this community has for the financial privilege that they have. Because actually, APL is a fairly diverse school. Uh, probably, if you looked at it, like, representative to Seattle would probably be, like, equivalent to the diversity of Seattle. Sure, but it's a very, at the same time, it's pretty affluent. By yeah, it's totally It's affluent. a lot of Amazon, Microsoft families who are, their insurance is able to cover their, stu- their students, most of whom are on the autism spectrum, going to a school. Sure. Yep. So in the speech, I just thought it was really important to like mention that this person had a uh, uh, child with Down syndrome, and the fact that like this person now, this person with Down syndrome is is doesn't have a mom anymore. Right. And now is the privilege involved with these the school is just so high. Yeah. And there's like you know your nanny picks up the kid from the school to take you home to do this, and like not all families operate like that, but a good number of them do. And I just. Uh, just felt like it was important as we celebrated that graduation and how big of a moment that is to also rep- recognize, like, we are so close to where this shooting happened. We are three miles from where this thing happened, mm-hmm. and you all can call the police with impu- impunity. At any moment, you could call the police and probably call the police way more than you should. Yeah, and and nothing bad will happen to you for calling ever the police. Will ha- you ne- you'll never get shot for calling the police, and just, like, mm-hmm. I, ha- I, just was, I had to mention it, and it comes back to that whole, like, when you're given a voice, like, if I get to talk to a room of 200 white people, I'm not not going to mention that. Like, yeah. I'm going to take that opportunity. And it was like, I wasn't sure when I walked into the room whether, like, how that was going to go over, or, like, just what it was going to say. But just to look around the room and see so many white people, and I, like, had talked to some of my friends who are brown, and they were like, you have to do it. Like, yeah. you have to do this. You Like, it's just not an option. If you get to talk to 200 white people who aren't your Facebook friends... Do it, and 100%. I was like, yeah, absolutely. So I felt really good about that um, in doing that. But and I saw it. It was it was an emotional moment. It was hard for you, not only because it can be intimidating to talk in front of that many people, but also because it's fucking sad and yeah, it's, it's fucking hard to talk about. Mm. And it was an emotional moment, and I could see the hesitation that came along with that. Um, and I wondered, like, oh, I assume that that's also the fear of like, I know this is going to make people uncomfortable Mm. I want to make them uncomfortable but it also makes me uncomfortable Mm. like that's just human nature yeah I don't want to ruffle feathers 
as much as I want to ruffle feathers. Yeah, like, the standing on top of the bridge about to jump off into the water, like, I feel that sensation. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm going to change the way that you think of today in about one moment. Like, yep. <laughs> take one, like, last deep breath about this whole, like, success comes to those who wait, or success comes, blah, 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 because, like, we're about to go through, like, one moment of real, and then I'll, then I'll give up this microphone, like, well, but hold on one second, and I do think, I guess, I spent a lot of time working on this speech and thinking about, like, messages that I would give to young people, and just because, like, I um, have taken a really unconventional route to whatever it is that I do right now, which I don't know what it is, but, uh, um, just, like, making sure that the message, like, the last thing I said to them was that, fighting oppression in fighting violence against women will make you feel so much better than getting paid ever will. Like, that had to be the last thing I said because it's so true and yeah. it's so important and, like, I, I I couldn't say it enough to them. Like, Absolutely. that is the thing that will make you feel, like, a million dollars. That's the thing that will make you feel successful. Right, and I wish that, you know, I was so... I was very emotional while you were speaking and talking about that purpose and that's why immediately thereafter like was like Zach we've got to do the podcast yeah. and because like I wanted I know I thought about you know college graduation back when that happened for me you know this is high school for these guys but still like coming out of that and feeling you know like I'm moving into this realm of working in mental health for mm. a good five six years um focusing on that uh doing these different things and making either nothing because it's a volunteer position or like minimum wage yeah. and working like crazy hours, very violent settings at mm -hmm. times and being like, I feel bad about myself because I'm not making very much money. And yeah. like, what a stupid thing that is instead to be like, I, I could have been really proud of myself. Yeah. I look back and I'm proud, but at the time I was not proud. I yeah. was embarrassed that I had to be working in those settings because I was like, Oh, I couldn't, I could never do a real job. Fuck yeah. that. That's a real job. That's a goddamn great job. A yeah. lot of people couldn't do that. Yeah, and in fact, not only could a lot of people not do that, uh, like, it seems like the Seattle police couldn't do it. Yeah. Because, like, you, like uh, the amount of, like, you know, using words to de-escalate people and the amount of, like, using minimal bodily impact to... to um, to, to, to get people off of a ledge or to get people away from being agitated. It seems like I know people who've never even gone to college who seem to be able to do that. Yeah. And we have these grown men who are like 225 pound ex-football players who have a gun and a billy club and a taser and they can't seem to use their words. They can't. It is just, it's just shocking. Like it's really shocking to me. Yeah. And like My biggest thing when it comes to the police. Well, that's not my biggest thing. A big thing for me that I feel I can articulate pretty strongly is they have the option to use violence, and so they will. Yeah. If you don't have the option to use violence, you will figure out a way. You're saying my life is threatened. Yeah. You're telling me if you didn't have that gun, you would have died. Yeah. You wouldn't have found a way. You would have found a way. You yeah. could find a way. I, uh, yeah, I have, a, I, have a, I have a very testy relationship with the police. So I was arrested when I was 18 at a protest in Spokane. Mm -hmm. And it's this whole thing. It was so gross. And I, uh, so I was arrested, and I was charged with felony assault on a police officer. And the officer who arrested me on his police report had written that I was, uh, that I lunged at him and reached my hands around his throat and clasped until he barely... Uh, barely regained consciousness, at which point his fellow officers, like, tactfully restrained me according to policy and procedure. And so that's what it said in the police report. I remember it 
pretty much verbatim. Fully restrained. And what it really was was like I uh, was snappy with a police officer, which is actually not illegal. Mm-hmm. And I was tackled by like six grown men and kicked in the back and arrested and then charged with felony assault on a police officer. And then I was also assaulted in the Spokane County Jail. I was also put in the violent wing of Spokane County Jail and was held for 10 days. And they like pushed my, my bond three times and wouldn't let me out and were like intimidating me in jail. And I was white and I was middle class and I was 18 years old. Yeah. And it was on the news. And that was the moment. Like, in that time when I was in jail with all of these brown people in a city that is, Spokane is 92% white and somehow yep. their jail is 80% black. Dude, um, and somehow. And I, I spent a lot of time um, in the 10 days thinking about my privilege and thinking about how fucked up they had treated me even with that privilege. Yeah. And it was really like, I mean, I think that as like a teenager, I realized that police could be liars and that police would say whatever they want. Uh, but it wasn't until that moment where I realized like, Nothing they said was true. Um, and then it turns out, because it was, I was active in this activist group that was being uh, <clears throat> monitored by the FBI, mm-hmm. because <laughs> this was in like uh, the, early, the mid-2000s, and there was a lot of like Animal Liberation Front, Earth Liberation Front yeah, yeah. monitoring. Uh, the thing that actually got me not in trouble was that the FBI was surveilling our protest, and had video of my arrest that clearly showed I didn't touch the police officer. Dude, thanks, so FBI. The, so the the reason why I didn't, because I was going to plead guilty. My, I had a lawyer who was representing me who had told me, like, there's no way you're going to get a jury in Spokane who won't take the police officer's side. Like, you are True. you are fucked on this. You do not want to go to trial. You could spend the next five years in jail, and you're 18 years old, and, like, it's not worth it. It's not worth it for your community. It's not worth it for the activists. It's not worth it for anything that you're doing in your future to go to jail for five years for mm-hmm. this. So I was going to plead guilty, and my lawyer essentially, uh, eventually was able to get in touch with um, some people who were working in, like, the ALF, ELF defense, and then we found out that they had this video, and the video was, like, me doing exactly what I said. Like, I stood up. I asked the police officer for his name because he'd shoved a friend of mine violently and they just all tackled me and kicked me. And it was like, the police officers, I never got an apology. I never really, it just, the whole thing, like, it was so wild and it really opened my eyes to, like, what police officers will do. And once they start, like, once the lie starts, there's no, their, 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 like, thin blue line is so real. Like, all of these other officers wrote all these, like, collaborating statements. They were like, eight police reports in my court packet that were all lies. Mm-hmm. Like, like, eight of you are all lying, and, like, and I was able to say that, like, you're lying, you're lying, you're lying, but it doesn't really mean anything until all of a sudden there's this video that shows you're lying, and you're like, fuck you. Like, you are fucking bastards. Like, yeah. you are fucking bullies. And my lawyer used to say this thing that was, like, funny at the time, a little degrading now, but he'd be like, you know, <clears throat> Officer Kern Camp was 245 pounds, and my client is 110 pounds with his hair wet and a brick in his hand. <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah! And now I'm like, hmm, come on, like, fuck you. <laughs> but he was like, uh, he had like all these like witty lines that he would say about like, Dude. how are you afraid of this guy? Like, these police officers, like, like what do you, were you, he almost choked you out. Like, if he almost choked you out, we need to get some new police officers. Yeah. I think he said at one point Dude, as well. That's like, so funny. That's and he was great. he was really supportive and, and, and yeah did that. But that was like a big turning point Dude. for me and like the way that folks I out there with those opinions go be lawyers go be on juries oh do like get on a jury go on jury go on juries and say not guilty to people of color yeah. because the oppression is so strong. I just put me on a jury right now. I'm, 
Well, that's the problem. Is then they'll they'll say like, "Hey, I've got some questions for before we start this yeah, jury." Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, we'll never get on juries. Yeah, that. Uh, yeah, I will never. I will never. I'll no. never get on a jury. Cool. But yeah, oh, that's so tight. That I just am so proud to know you and to see the things that you're doing and to see the way that you are taking these privileges and these opportunities and saying like, "It's easy to be comfortable." Yeah. It's easy to relax. It's easy to chill. And that's not what I'm going to do. Yeah, for and, sure. And I think that that's really tight. And I am thankful for you to be able to just kind of speak up about that in the podcast and just talk about those things. Because I know that you, I'm sure that you could be like, oh, I want to be humble about this stuff. But I think that it's super fucking tight. And I think that it right. points a light at what the right thing to pay attention to is. Well, the other thing, one last thing too, yeah. the speech that I was gone, wanted to give was that everybody should use recreational drugs sparingly in their 20s because you're going to want to do mushrooms when you're old. <laughs> um, so that was actually the... So I made the graduation speech was like, success comes to those who wait, but it's actually a metaphor <laughs> for, <laughs> for... Because... <laughs> That just had to. No, that this in is there. great news for me. I'm terrible <laughs> yeah. at drugs. Yeah. I have, I have done. So I'm fantastic at them <laughs> because I learned at a young age that you shouldn't do them all the time. Right. Because if you do them all the time, they just preoccupy you. So what I really wanted to tell the high school graduates was use mushrooms sparingly, once every five to ten years, <laughs> because I've met some people in the last couple of years as I've sort of like opened up my community to people who are older and different. <laughs> I've opened my community to people who are uh, in their 60s or 70s who've given me that advice and I'm trying to pass it to my generation. Right. Because you might want to be 70 years old and do mushrooms and you don't want to have ruined mushrooms in your 20s. <laughs> that's so funny. That's some great that's, advice. That's my kick I'm on. I've right never I'm done mushrooms. You. I've still never done it. This well, is you, have, you, have your whole, you have your whole life. I have my whole life. There's no rush. And now like, now you have like, you know, Cosmo Moms microdosing you know, and like it's someday you'll I, someday you'll buy it at the, the apothecary. The, literally, the best weed opportunities that I've had have been through edibles that are in a package where yeah. I can read. I'm like, oh, this is exactly how this is going to affect me, and then I have it and yeah. I go to sleep, yeah. and it's wonderful. That's the point. That's yeah. what I'm looking for in it's, all of my drug experiences. Just control. Yeah. As a white male, I'm just really looking for more control, even in the places where I'm supposed to be let go, letting go of control. Yeah, yeah. I, I love letting go, but I, yeah, that's, that's, I, that was what the speech was actually supposed to be about. And the whole thing was a metaphor. Hey, you're, you're going to have a lot of opportunities go in your slow. life to yeah. go tell yeah. youth to do drugs correctly. Right. And I will use those opportunities. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. Is there any other things that you felt like you didn't get a chance to talk about, but you wanted to say? Um, if you think that camp sounds cool, we um, are always looking for people to fund scholarships, and you can go to parkviewservices.org and get into that. Um, the scholarships are, like, as real of a donation you could ever make. Like, mm. 100% of the money goes to putting a camper in camp. Cool. Um, so, yeah, we have a small endowment that we sit on, but we always try to make sure that we nice. plug I, that. I will put a link to that in the podcast. Cool. Future ghosts can go and click on that and put some money someplace that matters. Yeah, for sure. Hi, thanks, Sarah. Appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers.